I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. When it comes to money, throughout the years, there's been lots of talk from lots of people about money. And today, you're actually going to meet a friend of mine whose family owned the Philadelphia Eagles and how she's colored her life by giving back to those in need. We're also going to have a fascinating conversation about how the glitterati, you know, people like athletes and billionaires, often have the same problems we do, but on steroids. These are people that we watch fail in front of the camera, and oftentimes, sadly, they end up with nothing. We know success and failure go hand in hand, but how about giving back? Let's talk about living a profitable life. And that means it's not only about making money, but using that money to give your life meaning. In this podcast, I'll be telling you more truths about money as I show you and your friends how to follow the profit. talk to someone who really does have money in their heart. In fact, a very, very big heart. And it's part of her family culture. Marty Schneider is someone who grew up around sports. In fact, you've probably heard of her granddad. He was the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was the guy who started the Ronald McDonald House. You know, all of those places all around the country and the world that house people when their kids are sick. And it's not just her grandfather. The culture kept on percolating down her entire family. In fact, her mom was the first and only female general manager of a pro football team. And my guest didn't stop there. She's now made a career in the nonprofit sector 
And she's a children's book author. I think she's up to her seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth one. We'll ask her herself. Marnie Schneider is here on Follow the Prophet. Hey, Marnie. Hi, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. So we have to start off with your granddad was Leonard Tose. And of course, we've all read and watched about the highs and lows in his life. But let's talk about the two highlights that we can really think of. And back in 1969, you know, during the summer of love, right? He bought the Philadelphia Eagles. How did that happen? Like a lot of people, when they have a passion and they're interested in something, they want to be really involved. And my grandfather had a saying, if you're not invested, you really can't collect. And that kind of goes with everything. And it does definitely follow my model of how I live my life. But he really liked professional sports. He really liked football. He also knew that being in a city, if you own a sports team, you can make really good things happen for that community. So we wanted to buy the Philadelphia Eagles, not necessarily because he had a gigantic ego and wanted to have the best table at a restaurant, but he knew that through owning a football team, he could do a tremendous amount for the city, for the community. And that was really what motivated him to look into buying the Eagles. And it was an opportunity that he was able to make happen. And since that, he was able to create so many great things by owning the Philadelphia Eagles. So I think that when I think about my grandfather's career path, he was in the trucking business and he did many things, but buying the Eagles was really about finding ways to do bigger and better things for the community and for the city that he loved Philadelphia. So your grandfather, not only, of course, we know who the Philadelphia Eagles are, but he also wanted to give back. So I want you to tell me a little bit about what sparked the idea for the Ronald McDonald House, which I believe most of our listeners are familiar with. My grandfather loved to give back and loved to make a difference. And he understood that that was really how he could feel good about himself. Because oftentimes when you are in a leadership position, I think that people are coming at you all the time. But I think my grandfather on a large scale wanted to make a difference. So in 1974, when he owned the Philadelphia Eagles, a football player on his team, a man named Fred Hill, who had relocated from Southern California to Philadelphia. So he really didn't have a wide net of his family there. His young daughter, Kim, was diagnosed with leukemia. So my grandfather and Fred were very close and they started a charity called Eagles Fly for Leukemia. And they would literally, just like being in church, they would pass a, a baseball cap around Veteran Stadium and people would put coins in and change and dollar bills or whatever. And they started raising money for this charity, Eagles Fly for Leukemia. And then that was such a success and the city really embraced it. And then my grandfather went to the NFL and said, I think we need to do something more here. So the very first Ronald McDonald House with the partnership of McDonald's, so in 1974, the very first Ronald McDonald House opened up in the city of Philadelphia, and it was a place where families could stay while their children were being treated at Children's Hospital or some of the surrounding hospitals for different things. And certainly it continues to happen every day. So I'm very proud of that legacy. This podcast is really about the culture of money and the culture of giving back in your case. How did that culture percolate? through your daily life and how it is it affecting the next generation now, which of course you have three kids. For me, my mom was a working mother and she took her daughter to work. And that's what a lot of mothers do or a lot of parents do. They take their kids to work because maybe there's no babysitter, there's no older sibling or there's no aunt or uncle to watch. And truthfully, 
it was a family business, no different maybe than owning a plumbing business or owning a framing business or whatever it is. The business happened to be professional football. So the actual clientele was a little bit different. But, you know, my mom was very fiscally conservative. We flew coach. You know, my mom shopped at, at Lowman's, which doesn't exist anymore. So I guess that would be like TJ Maxx. So I think that like I was raised to be very appreciative for all the things that I have and not entitled and not squander opportunities. And also to know, to believe that like as a young girl, if you work hard and you put in the sweat equity and the grit, nothing's off limits. And, you know, my mom did an amazing job, I think, of empowering other women and other young, you know, young people, young women in particular, to really understand their value and, and their abilities to do many things. So I'm super proud of my mom. And I'm really proud of my grandfather for putting a woman in a very high level position. Famously, your grandfather lost it all and your yeah. mother didn't really introduce you to that culture. So you've actually seen both realities exist simultaneously in your family. So you're telling me that your mother wasn't excessive, but you know, your grandfather, I know there's a story out there that I believe it is with his fourth wife, they had matching Rolls Royces or, you know, they were very over the top. So how did your mom make sure to inculcate the values that would make sure that there was wealth for the next generation, what we call follow the prophet, while your grandfather was just on this path to ruin. So my mom was definitely somebody very conservative financially and wanted to make sure that there was enough funds and enough opportunity for me to be smart about the financial part of, of her hard work. My grandfather was very generous. He did a lot of incredible things philanthropically, whether it was building the synagogue in Philadelphia, whether it was giving bulletproof vests to the entire city of Philadelphia to all the policemen, whether it was funding the entire sports program for these high schools in the city of Philadelphia, giving them what they deserved, not arguing over the, the pettiness of it, saying, okay, you were a good wife. It didn't work out here. Take your money, take your cars, take your jewelry. Thank you very much. Very few people understand that divorce is one of the greatest destroyers of wealth in modern day America. And your grandfather went through that several times. And unfortunately, Marnie, you've also been through that. Tell us how to navigate those thorny issues, because, of course, many of us dream of being married and we want it to work out. But sometimes it doesn't. And as you've told me, it's extremely expensive. It is expensive. And, you know, like with anything, I would say this, that like with my children, how I advise them is to do your homework when it comes to finding a partner and settling down with that person and having children with them. Because ultimately, if that person is not on the same page as you necessarily academically, financially, doesn't mean that they can't come from different backgrounds. I mean, I embrace whatever it is that you think is going to be a good fit for you. But I think truly finding somebody who's a good fit for you is somebody who also understands the financial responsibilities of being a dad or being a mom. My grandfather got divorced five times. So if you just take any amount of money or a pizza and you cut a pizza into five slices, you're going to end up with a very tiny margin of that pizza. Okay. That's just how it goes. So I think for me, though, what I've kind of advised my friends, it's ultimately you have to do the right thing. And whether you're a guy, you want to make sure that you can always provide for your children because that's really important in the same way that there's expectations on you know, the female side. You want to you know, provide for your children as well. But I think that divorce is a very touchy subject and marriage is not something to be entered into in a light way. 
So do your homework. And that's really my, my best advice. What I tell most people is to do your homework and to make sure that this person that you are going to be spending time with is somebody that going forward, even if it doesn't seem to work out, that you can ultimately find a way, an exit strategy that will be good for both people. That is incredible advice and something that a lot of people don't consider before they enter into marriage with someone. And as you said, I think that's a great way to reflect on that. It's not really about where you are in life, but the values you have is specifically around money. So Marnie, a lot of your career has been about giving back. Tell us a little bit about how you're still involved with the Ronald McDonald House, about your books, and really why it's important to be charitable. So like I tell my children, I tell my friends, if you're having a, a rough day, the best way to reset yourself is to go and give back. That's it. It will literally just pull you out of whatever bad mood you're having because somebody is always having it a little bit worse. So when I started writing Game Day in the USA, my football, Freddy and Fumble the Dog book series, I knew that I wanted to use it as a tool to bring families together. My mom was a teacher. I love teachers. Before my mom became a lawyer and an entrepreneur, she was a teacher. So on these long plane rides going back from Philadelphia to San Diego or wherever, there was always a lot of reading involved and writing. And my mom encouraged that. And you know, I watched her doing a lot of reading while she was in law school. So that was another thing that as a young girl, I got to watch my mom study law things and these big gigantic torts books and wonder what they were and whatever else. So I knew that when we started writing Game Day in the USA, that we were going to use it as a way to fundraise for charities, obviously try to make some profit. But at the end of the day, when you're doing something to give back and to make a difference, that really is financially fulfilling. And then when you start, like I said, when you love what you're doing, then the financial windfall happens. But, um, you know, Football Freddy and Fumble the Dog Game Day has been a great way for me to connect with lots of different Ronald McDonald houses because each book takes you on a tour of a different football city. And I'm really excited about my newest book, which is Football Freddy and Fumble the Dog Game Day Gratitude. And when I got down to it, you know, I've written eight books already about different NFL cities, and that's been amazing. And we're still going to continue with that. But one of the things that really made me think about like where I wanted to go, and what direction was giving back and gratitude and families learning gratitude and kids learning gratitude. And I always say that like without football, I would have a much different life. And so I'm very grateful for that. So I wanted to find a way to incorporate my gratitude of football and all these great leaders that I've met. So whether I can reach out to Vince Papali, who, you know, really has an incredible story or Coach Dick Vermeil or Merrill Hodge, who, you know, overcame so many obstacles to play in the NFL and get some of their stories and then incorporate it into a book for families and kids about gratitude and grace and learning things on the gridiron. That was something really important to me. And at the same time, I'm very involved in the Ronald McDonald House. I'm really proud. I'm on the board of the house here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am on the advisory board at Long Beach. You know a lot of athletes and you're very involved in the culture. Athletes are some of the most notorious people who do not follow the profit. They have these crazy windfalls. They make millions of dollars and then they pull an MC hammer and they're broke five years later. Having seen this yourself, what advice do you have for people who have extraordinary athletic ability and suddenly find themselves, you know, making millions of dollars? How can they make sure that they don't end up broke? That is a very slippery slope for a lot of people. They want to do things because they have such generosity. 
the people that I know that are the most generous are definitely a lot of people involved in the sports world. They want to take care of their mamas and their papas and their aunties who have really sacrificed so much for them, for their careers. So I think that with a professional athlete, it's very difficult. They're very susceptible to a lot of smooth talk and sweet talkers and, and everything else. But to really try to live way below what you actually have. And that is, takes a lot of discipline. So if they can exert the same discipline they have to train and eat properly and practice and, and do all those things, if they can exert the same financial discipline, they'll be fine. A lot of times high achieving people see they have a very high level of discipline when work or a task is at hand. But when it comes to their personal time, it's almost like they feel like they have license to misbehave. Remember those old curly Q phone cords and it would get wrapped tightly and wrapped tightly. And then you would have to hold it up to like let it just unwind and it could take a while. And the unwinding process of anything when you're that tightly wrapped up, providing for others, making sure other people are getting things done and being on top of it. That's, you know, that's where really the rubber meets the road and having the discipline to say, I'm not going to get that tight, but I'm going to get just tight enough to be able to accomplish my goals and make sure everything's done, but not so wrapped up that I, it's going to take me 10 minutes, like a curly phone cord to be unwrapped. And that's where a lot of the, the undisciplined behavior happens. Well, Marnie, on that note, give my best to Goldie, your daughter, and the whole family over in Charlotte, North Carolina, a lovely place. Say hello to your beautiful lake. And thank you for all the work that you do for the Ronald McDonald House, for sports, and for educating our youth on the importance of gratitude. Well, thank you, David. And thank you so much for having me on. And I'm so grateful for that and appreciative and grateful for the platform that you've given me to share my love of giving back and making a difference. So thank you. We're gonna take a quick break here. Be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. With money comes the potential of success, and oftentimes, unfortunately, drama, and lots of it. Let's talk about the company Tesla. You've probably seen their cars rolling around the streets near you. So many years ago, the country was going through a big upheaval in the economy. You probably remember it. In fact, I graduated college during that time. The U.S. housing market was a mess, especially here in Florida. And there were so many things that contributed to that downfall that we could talk about. The way mortgages were handed out, the way lending practices went, and basically government policy. Let's just call it too much to list. But that ended up with a financial credit freeze. And that just didn't affect us. It affected companies too. Companies as small as, you know, a baker on a corner to a big car company like Tesla found themselves unable to access money. And even a guy like Elon Musk back in 2012, right around November, he was running out of money along with all his friends who were the titans of industry back then. And in the last hour, right before he was about to just have to close his doors, he finally secured $40 million, which isn't a lot of money for a company that big. And it was just enough to keep the lights on. And of course, Musk, who famously loves Twitter, said, you know what? I put in my last money. And even though I thought we would still fail, but it was either that or certain death for Tesla. Musk is one of those people who's willing to put his last penny into his companies. And in fact, if you look at his history, he's always doubled down on his bets, starting with eBay and going all the way up to today with Tesla, SpaceX, and many more. Musk has always had to deal with economic uncertainty. And fast forward to today, we're in another era of uncertainty. But guess what? Tesla's doing just fine this time. In fact, it's considered to be, or will be, one of the most profitable car companies in the world. And it's actually pushing his competition 
to innovate. So what's the story here? The story is that sometimes you're almost going to fail, and it's a little crazy. In fact, I want to talk about FedEx. Very few people realize that FedEx was about to fail when the founder, Fred Smith, actually went to Vegas and played blackjack with the last money he had to his name. And guess what? He won, and you'd have to live in a pineapple under the sea to not know what FedEx is. And all that was was Fred Smith believed so much in his company that he wanted to succeed. Every big titan of industry in this country has almost failed, been at the edge of failure. And I tell you this story because there are lessons here. In fact, three lessons. Patience, which we all lack in a world of instantaneous gratification. Hard work. Yeah, there's, we definitely lack discipline. And the last one, what helped Fred Smith get that money in Vegas when he was playing blackjack? A little bit of luck. Those are the three lessons that you have to follow when you're looking to follow the profit. So let's talk about 2020. Always the perennial issue, right? 2020 has been a little crazy, right? But if we look back at stocks, it's actually shaping up to be a surprisingly normal year for buy and hold investors. I'm certain many of you who listen to Follow the Profit have some sort of investment in the stock market. And I'll admit, having stocks requires many skill sets. Many of us don't have those skill sets, but we still invest anyway, which is a danger. But let's talk about what you should have. The primary thing you should have is the ability to control your emotions. Wow, if we all had that, wouldn't life be a lot easier? If you saw the movie Wall Street, you may remember this phrase, don't get too emotional over stock. <laughs> Naturally, that's easier said than done. People often get caught up in the emotional roller coaster. They think about all the things that like, well, the market went up, so that means I'm richer. Well, let me tell you something. If you haven't sold, you're not any richer. The point at which you buy and the point at which you sell is what matters for stocks. What they're worth today, if you haven't cashed them in, is irrelevant. So you might think, oh, if the market goes down, sell. If the market goes up, buy. Well, that's actually probably the opposite of what you should be doing. If you look at what happened when COVID hit and the global economy began to slow down over the shutdown, the stock market dropped like a stone. And at the close of 2020, we have a lot of COVID cases. And you would probably think that the stock market would have continued dropping, but that's not what happened. For many investors, their investments not only came back from where they were, but they've actually exceeded far beyond where they were. And those who have a traditional, normal, everyday portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds, the returns are almost the same. This has actually turned out to be an incredibly stable year for stocks. So let's look back at 2008. 401ks back then during the Great Recession, you're watching in horror. And even worse was that your house, I'm sitting here in the Orlando area, my parents' house went down 50%. Luckily, they hadn't bought it when it was worth that much, but it still affected psychologically how we imagined ourselves and how much we were worth. There's something called the wealth effect. When people on paper are getting wealthier, they actually spend more money. 
Well, the reverse of the wealth effect actually happens as well. When the value of your house is going down, even if you're not going to sell, you actually feel poorer. So what's the key when all of this is happening? Let's say you're sitting in a house that's devaluing. You're sitting on stocks that are not worth as much as they used to be. In fact, I'm sitting on a New York apartment right now that's not worth <laughs> two pennies. I'm not going to sell it. You know why? Because eventually, over time, wait two years, and guess what? Those values will come back and then some. So lesson here, unless you are completely hard up and need money right away, don't sell during a crisis. Right now during COVID, it's a little bit different. Housing prices are stable and stocks are stable. Unless of course you own an apartment in New York like me. Guess what? I will not sell that. I am going to hold it. I am going to stick it out. And I have a lot of faith that those values will come back and then some. We're gonna take a quick break here. Be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. 
Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. So we here at Follow the Profit like to deconstruct the foundations of the economy and finance for you. Sometimes it can be a bit confusing, and you've probably heard a lot of noise in this area. You know, investment advice, often unsolicited. But we instead wanted to really find some good advice for you. We looked at a Business Insider article that took a look at what it takes to invest in real estate, which is my personal favorite among investments. Becky Nova, a real estate investor and landlord for 10 years, broke it down this way. One, you'll hear me say this a million times. Real estate investing is a stable asset. You have a greater likelihood of income stability over stocks. Yeah, it's not going to be the most profitable venture you'll ever do, but guess what? You live in it and it usually appreciates and beats inflation. Two, Ms. Nova said, get into real estate if you like customer service. Guess what? If you have tenants, that's basically customer service. And do your research because all real estate is local. Just because you have a national market going down doesn't necessarily mean that the area where you're looking to invest is going down or up rather. You have to invest because block by block, there are little micro markets that defy logic. You need the best information available. And Becky Nova mentioned something else in this Business Insider article. You have to like the whole DIY culture. What's DIY? That means do it yourself. And that's where I really fail. I don't really know how to do a lot of stuff myself. Fortunately, I have a mother and father who really do help me. Always remember, real estate investing is not passive. You actually have something tangible. It's brick and mortar. And let me tell you, stuff breaks. Like all investments, stocks, bonds, and real estate. Ms. Nova told Business Insider something I always tell people. It's important to invest in things that you understand. If you're going to invest in real estate, you need to know your numbers and you need to understand people. This is why millennials and Gen Z are much more likely to buy Netflix instead of IBM. We like to invest in things that we understand and make sure that your investments reflect your knowledge and your passion, or else they probably won't go very well. Next, I wanna talk about the founder of Spanx, Sarah Blakely. If you're a female, you probably know who she is. If you're a male, let me tell you about her. She's a billionaire. She created female undergarments that are revolutionary and has transformed that whole sector. And she talks about something that's really important in entrepreneurship, and that's the idea of validation. So there are a lot of human emotions out there that can either help or hurt your idea for a business or a product. And there are the usual suspects. We covered some of them in this episode. Greed, jealousy, envy, basically all the seven deadly sins. But then there's one that everyone goes through. And depending on how you handle it when you're getting your business up and running, it could either be a blessing or a curse. So going back to Sarah, she's the founder of Spanx, she told Entrepreneur about her story. She had a job selling fax machines and about $5,000 in savings. And at some point, 
she got her bright idea that changed her life, her famous shapewear. And now, these days, she makes half a billion dollars a year. And she says one of her smartest moves to patent her Spanx product and not to tell anyone. She says entrepreneurs may have the passion to develop their product, but when they look for validation from friends or family, that feedback sometimes can throw up a stop sign. In fact, we found that there's some science behind this. Research has shown that 55% of people say their self-worth is more often tied to what other people think. In fact, there's a lot of research about dating on that. We tend to date people that we think our friends will think are hot, and business is the same way. Two, time spent on social media makes all of this worse. Everyone presents their best life, and we want to present ours as well. And three, a study published in the Journal of Business Venturing found that fear in new entrepreneurs, specifically the fear of failure, is totally normal. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. So this all gets to how do you properly put yourself in the right mindset to validate your idea? Well, number one, don't just talk to people you know. Talk to people who will potentially use your product. Don't let your network discourage you. Go talk to your future customers. So that means not your mom, not your roommate, not the person you're dating. Find forums or groups that will give honest feedback on the pros and cons of your business idea. Trust me, in a world with internet, you're going to find those people. Two, mentally break it down and rebuild it. You got to poke holes in your own ideas, or at least bring someone in who will poke holes in it and have reasonable answers to everything that you find. There's going to be a lot of problems. There's going to be a lot of pivoting. You have to go through every detail and game out every single possibility and be ready for the tough questions. And three, and this is often the hardest part for a lot of entrepreneurs, learn the difference between being committed and being silly. Sometimes you have to change your mind. A lot of people, instead of pride cometh before destruction, actually destruction cometh before pride. And this is a big deal with entrepreneurs. You should be committed to your idea, but you shouldn't die on that battlefield. Be sure you're willing to pivot. We all have to do that in our daily lives, and entrepreneurship shouldn't be any different. Thanks to all of you for joining me as we follow the profit. A big warm thanks to my friend and author and public speaker, Marnie Schneider, for her insight into the sports world and charitable giving. And of course, a shout out to our team of producers, Emiliano Limon, Scott Hantler, and to our executive producers, Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. I'm your host, David Grosso. If you're enjoying the show, give us five stars and give us a review so that others can learn what the show is all about. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.